And it's kind of interesting. I, I never planned on doing this, knowing it was Veterans Weekend, and Veterans is all about fighting and all about war. Um, and I had already you know, decided in my own mind to speak on uh, the book of Jude. And I've really never looked at it um, in depth before. And I was going to do the whole chapter, and there's no way. There's no way. It's going to be hard enough for me just to get through uh, really one verse that I want to look at, and that's verse 3. What I want to do is start out reading verses uh, 1 through 4, and then make a few comments uh, surrounding the first verse, and then a couple of second verse, third verse. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them they're sanctified by God the Father and preserved by Christ Jesus and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write to you about a common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unaware who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our Lord into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Ty was in Romans chapter 16 today, and I think you mentioned the word, the name Aniferous. I say that. How do you say that? Anyway, he was um, he was a, a bad character, and I, I have that written. Theophanes. I'm sorry, wasn't it Theophanes you talked about? Theotrophies. So I had that written in my Bible from a long time of study about uh, certain men crept in unawares in the church. He was a bad guy. He wasn't a good man. Um, so anyway, I just thought that throw that point out. We find here, uh, this is a serious warning of a pending apostasy that's going to happen into this church. Uh, and, and by the way, I wrote here, uh, once we're called, we're drafted to the front line. There's, there's no standing in the back. There's no non-involvement. If you're called to be a servant of Christ, you're going to serve. There, there's, there's no getting around that. Otherwise, you have to ask yourself, am I truly a servant of Christ? We're all in a battlefield together. We all have to fight. Um, what's going to happen? Jude addresses that there's going to be false prophets are going to come into this. Uh, it's a general uh, epistle, so maybe there was a series of churches or a group of people, but to beware that there's going to be false prophets that are going to arise. Same thing Christ said uh, in Matthew 11. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 24, and I've got these marked in my Bible. I just have to find them. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, verses uh, 11 through 14. And Jesus says, And many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. And because inquiry shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold. But he who endures to the end the same shall be saved. And I'll read 14 also. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all the world 
for a witness unto all nations, and this shall be the end, the end shall come, Jesus prophesying. So not only was there false prophets in the early church, but there's going to be false prophets come to, uh, it's going to be realized in our time as well, maybe the end time in which we live. And as we look around us, we surely see that that is, that is happening right before us. I always wonder, how do these how do these when we see false teachers in our day uh, demonic spirits um, and and I have to again go back to what just happened last week with the abortion and there were churches in in Ohio churches called themselves evangelical churches who were asking her people to vote yes on this issue. That's a false teaching. So this has happened for, for centuries, and it's still happening. Can you imagine standing in the pulpit and asking your congregation to vote yes for the murder of babies? It's going to be as we see the end time approaching. Interesting when James refers to himself as a servant of Christ. The brother, I'm sorry, Jude refers to himself uh, as the brother of James and a servant of Jesus Christ. Somebody tell me who Jude was. What was his relationship to Jesus? Brother, yeah. Um, and there are some passages uh, that identify that uh, in the book of, uh, of, of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. Uh, Jesus is, I think, three or four brothers are mentioned and his sisters. Uh, and, and Judas and James are named in that. It's kind of interesting how James views Jesus Christ as the, uh, he's a servant. Uh, the word servant there is, is uh, slave. And it has uh, some consequences back to the term of deacon. Um, so you are a, he calls himself a slave to Jesus Christ. Interesting, in James chapter 1, he identifies himself, James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, the 12 tribes are scattered abroad, greeting. He did the same thing. Now, again, there was a time, and I think this was looked at in, in Matthew chapter 13, where they, they didn't always believe. They did not always believe that Jesus, their brother, was the Son of God. They finally had that moment in their life where the Holy Spirit, as he has done to all of us who believe, gave them eyes to see and ears to hear. And they do not refer to him as their brother, but as the servant. They are the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. They understand who he is and what he did for them. Interesting, three kind of interesting words uh, in the in, uh chapter, excuse me, verse 1, it says they were sanctified, they were preserved, and they were also called. Sanctified. When somebody is sanctified, that means they have been set apart. When God sanctifies us, he calls us out uh, uh, from among sinners and sanctifies us. It's an it's a instantaneous sanctification, but also it lasts our whole life. We're continually being sanctified. If Peter reminds us in, uh, uh, in his letter to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. 
that sanctification. Then there's the idea of being called. And it's not a general call. It's a specific call that God has called us to be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it has, it has consequences. It's not something that we can reject. It's not something that we can say, I'll think about later. That is the sovereign hand of God working on our hearts to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and to call us. And thirdly, preservation. We're preserved. No possibility of falling. And I think Kevin uses the verse in Philippians 1.6 that God has begun a good work in us and he will be faithful to complete that work unto the day of Jesus Christ. I've got more notes here than I can possibly go through in the next couple of minutes, so I'm going to skip through some, and I think it will, uh, it will make things better. The result of sanctification, I just want to make this point, is it's an unconditional love, it's an unending love, and it's a love from God to believers in Christ that we can't, is, is if I love my brother, that's a different love than the preservation and the sanctification and the calling that God bestows upon us. It's something that only he can do uh, for us. The meaning of the word preserve, I think, is kind of interesting. It means one who guards or uh, one closely watches and is guarded. So we are preserved. Um, there's verses in uh, the book of John, uh, numerous ones, but one in particular in John 10 says, Christ tells his disciples, reassured, no man can pluck you out of my father's hands. Those who the father has given to me, he's greater than all. I will not lose a one. I will not lose a one. I think this is what Jude is referring to here. We're preserved until, until Christ calls us home. We are preserved. We are guarded. Isn't it good to know that Christ is guarding our salvation? If it was up to us, my goodness gracious, there would be no hope. And I think in Sunday school this morning, we talked about some hope. And there's no hope in this world. There's no hope in science. There's no hope in, in, uh, in prosperity. The hope is in the gospel. The hope is in Jesus Christ. And as I get down here to... Uh, verse 3 here shortly, um, talking about the faith that was given once and for all. Verse 3, this is my primary uh, emphasis for the rest of the time in Jude, and I will read that again. Beloved, when I gave all diligence unto you to write unto you, about a common salvation, it was needful for me to write you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. From what I read and the way the structure of this verse set up, Jude was interested in talking to them about the common salvation they had through Jesus Christ. That's exciting. But something else came even more important to him because of these false teachers that were coming into the churches here that he was involved with. And the warning shot that he sent out to be on guard because of this uh, false teaching. 
certain men crept in unnoticed um, into these churches. And I just asked myself, how, does, how is this possible? How is this possible? How was that possible that these men in, crept in? If you read the next verses of Jude, there's some horrible things that must have taken place in these churches. Uh, and Jude is writing and warning them to watch these men, but at the same time reminding them that they cannot fall, they cannot fail because they were called and preserved through Jesus Christ. And he says here, Jude says, the um, ordained to the condemnation, um, for there are certain men, oh, I'm sorry, verse 3, the faith that was once delivered. John MacArthur talked about what this faith is, the only one true faith. This is the whole body of revealed salvation truth contained in Scripture. Here is a call to know sound doctrine, to be discerning in sorting out truth from error, and to be willing to confront and attack error. Um, Timothy is, is, is warned about this by Paul in 1 Timothy 1.18 uh, about a warring, warring a good warfare. So John MacArthur says this, this is sound doctrine, the, the idea of being discerning. And in our household, uh, we all, we, we've talked about that a lot in our, with our children, raising our kids um, Having good discernment, having the ability to make good decisions uh, based upon information that you can gather. And I think even within a church, the body of Christ, we need to be very careful. The doctrine that we, that we, uh, that we maintain. I am going to say this. Um, we have good gatekeepers here at the Bible Chapel. Now, we're not going to agree on everything, um, you, you know, in times in particular, but we have uh, a very good group of men, our elders, and then some other people, other men, who really guard what's being taught here. So we're very, very fortunate. And I, and I guess somehow, some way, in the early church, these people Judas talking to, these men crept into the church unaware. I'm still asking myself, and as I was going through this, how did that happen? I don't see that happening here. I really don't. I don't see that happening here. If it does, then this is, a, this is an apostate church. This, this church and our doctrine that we teach here is, uh, is the word of God. And we're very fortunate, and we're very blessed. And then he says, uh, to contend for the faith, Earnestly contend for the faith. Contend means to struggle against an opponent. Earnestly means with sincere and intense conviction. There's a lot of things in life that we can, we can waver on. When it comes to good doctrine, we cannot waver. We must have sincere and intense conviction about what the Bible teaches. And some of those things that the Bible teaches, and what do we look at as far as what is good for us? Uh, I, I spoke, it's been a while ago, on the, 
some of the fundamentals of the faith. We can't argue about these things. The inerrancy of Scripture, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the substitutionary atonement of Christ, the bodily resurrection of Christ from the dead, the reality of miracles, and other supernatural events that took place with Christ. Some other things, uh, the salvation, election, man's inability, justification, sanctification, just to name a few things. Those are solid solid doctrines that we must believe, we must take to heart, we must earnestly contend for because that is the faith that was delivered once to the saints. There are some things that we can talk about. There are some things we could compromise about. These things that God's word has tells us, the apostles' doctrines, the teaching of Jesus Christ, salvation, all the other things I talked about, we can't argue. We can't argue about those things. Those have to be a part of our life. As I end up with the uh, how to contend earnestly for the faith, a struggle, and it is a struggle, and it's an intense conviction. Even though as as believers uh, we may have some opposition to us, we must stand firm. We must stand firm. Last week uh, after the abortion vote, I think, Brooke lost, I don't know, they weren't friends anyway, but Instagram, uh, quite a few girls didn't want to be her Instagram fan anymore, really, who cares, because she took a stand for the pro-life. I was really proud of her. But those are, now she must face these people, she has to face the argument, she's a young girl. How do we withstand that? How do we stand against these things? It's through the word of God and through the the truth of Scripture. Earnestly contend is a wrestling term. It means to agonize. I don't know if anybody ever here has ever wrestled, uh, but it's having a determination. It's having, it's a vigorous, uh, it's a vigorous struggle in the Christian life, and it's continuous. It's not something that we do for a period of time and we stop. God calls us into the battle. We need to stay in the battle and finish well. Uh, that's our responsibility. That's our calling. And, and you know, Kevin, going through the book of John, many walked away. There were some who were among us for a while. They walked away. That's not a good sign. We must fight earnestly and contend for the faith all the days of our life. I think Jude believed that the fundamental tenets of the Christian faith were under attack. Nothing but vigorous counter-contention would be sufficient. I'm very thankful for uh, guys like John MacArthur, uh, R.C. Sproul, um, Alistair Begg. I listened to some of their messages and uh, uh, just a series of commentaries that these men have written. Uh, and it's amazing uh, the information they give. I have gotten from them so I can able to speak to other people. Nothing I have here is, is of my own thought. I've, it's all borrowed from others. Um, but we must be diligent. We've all been drafted. Everybody's been drafted in the army, like being a child in Israel. I don't care woman or man. You're in the army in Israel, and you're, they're all there now, aren't they? So we're all been, we've all been drafted. We're all taking our, our, uh, taking our time on the front line. From there, I want to venture to... Um, 
the book of uh, Ephesians. And I'm going to spend the remainder of the time. I got to get this done in five minutes. So I'm going to go quickly through this. If you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 18. I had some other verses to look at in respect to time tonight. And it's been a long day. Uh, and for some, it's been a very weighty day. So uh, I'm, I'm going to fly through this. Uh, and I, I believe I'm preaching to the choir tonight, uh, which I like that. Um, I feel very comfortable in front of this group. Galatians, Ephesians. And then I'm going to end up with Jude verses 24 and 25. I'm just going to read them, uh, the doxology of why we contend earnestly for the faith. And I think that gives us some very good answers. Verses, um, verses 12, or verse 11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Uh, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, powers against rulers and darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand, having done all you can to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girded about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the proper preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which be able to quench the fiery darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. There's a lot in there. Um, but what I'm going to do is try to just go through there and concise, concisely look at each one of those as we finish up tonight. The first one is the whole armor of God, which involves uh, the things I just wrote, uh, read about. Has anybody ever played baseball? Anybody here was ever a catcher in baseball? Anybody? Uh, Bryce was, I mean, maybe once or twice. Uh, it's... It's a very difficult position to play. But if you see a catcher in baseball, um, when they get behind home plate, they're dressed, right? They got the face mask on. You got your, your, breast, pl- your, uh, your breast is protected. And now they've got a guard that comes down over your Adam's apple because, guys, they also have the shin guards. And then some guys have metal shoes, metal toes on their shoes to a – an age in which we live and everybody's seen a catcher, you're dressed to the kill, to the hilt because you don't want to get hurt and you're prepared. Above all, you have that thing on your hand called a catcher's mitt that catches a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. That's your protection. It's kind of what we're looking at here. Being, having, having com- dressed completely for the battle. Um, interestingly, that... Uh, Years ago, we did this in, in youth group, or excuse me, in VBS, and um, you, you don't go into the battle half-dressed. And this is a, a Paul paints a beautiful picture of a Roman soldier about to go into, into battle. First is the belt of truth girded up, and, and Peter says, we, our loins are girded. We're sober. We're ready for the fight. We're always on guard. We're always standing ready to defend our position, to, to be ready to battle. And that's, that's a matter of integrity. Uh, pulling our loose clothes together, always being prepared to give a good answer. 
that's Bible-based in anything you do, anything, any activity, anything that you teach, you need to be prepared. I know some of you are teachers. Uh, and being a substitute teacher, thank goodness, I don't have to prepare anything. I go into class, and I read what the teacher has assigned for the kids, and off you go for the day. My responsibility is to take attendance, and I, I, I like that. Secondly, he talks about, excuse me, the breastplate of righteousness. That's doing which is right and always guarding our heart, our emotions, uh, putting on the breastplate of faith, uh, Paul writes in Thessalonians, the gospel of peace. It's a crucial ability that helps us to stand. The gospel of God's power unto salvation, Romans 1, 16 and 17. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is that gospel? It's the teaching of Jesus Christ. And how do we understand the teaching of Jesus Christ? We must dive into God's word. And we must be with God's people. And we must fellowship. And we must be taught by others. And we must teach others. That's how we prepare ourselves. The gospel of peace. Armed with the shield of faith. Proverbs, uh, and I'm I'm not going to read all these verses, but every word of God is pure. And and, uh, it is a shield unto us for those of us who trust him. The shield of faith is a, uh, when they went into battle, when these Roman soldiers went into battle, this shield was made of very hard, maybe uh, animal skin that took time to cure. And it was hard. It was maybe three and a half feet wide and four and a half feet uh, high to protect the most important part of our body. This is where we, our inners, our heart, all of our vital organs are right here, and they're protected. It also protected them against the fiery darts that were shot against them. Very important. And then the helmet of salvation. Put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation upon our heads, Isaiah 59, 17 refers to. And Paul and, and also talks about in Thessalonians, putting on the hope of salvation. That's our helmet. This is where it all happens and takes place. If this is, if this is not protected, if our brain's not protected, we're done in battle. And one of the first things, when you're in battle and someone's, it wasn't hand-to-hand most of the time. There was long swords until we get to the, uh, the sword of the spirit. That's a, whole different, that's a whole different sword. But it's a long sword that people went into battle. They were whacking and hacking. They're just, they're just trying to dismantle their opponent. And then finally, the word of God, the most important thing, or offensive weapon that Christians must use in battle Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful. Um, I, I, I don't know the rest of the verse. I won't take time to read it. You know the verse I'm talking about. But this is what cuts to the heart. The, the, the sword that Paul is talking about here, which is the, the word of God, this sword was a short between 12, 18-inch uh, knife that a, that a soldier would hold. They would also have their big sword, but they would have a sheath where they would put this in, and they would be able to fight somebody in close combat. When you have a big sword that's 36 inches long, you can't get close and personal with somebody in, va- in battle. But the word of God, our, our sword is able to, and, and as Hebrews 4 says, 4.12 says, it cuts us 
and opens us up for open heart surgery. It reveals the inner parts, what we believe the word of God is, is what we need. Well, I'm losing one. So why are we able to stand? We're able to stand. Why are we? Because we contend for the faith. Here is why we contend for this faith. And I was going to read uh, Jude 24 and 25, and Ty just walked out. I was going to have him read something. Uh, By the way, if you want to do a fun study sometime, go through all the scripture and just Google scripture doxologies. There's a bunch. There's a bunch. Uh, I'm going to end up with two. The one is right here, and Jude says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory in exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory in, in, in majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. Now, I, I had was going to read Revelation 5, 1 through 14, and then, lo and behold, that was the, uh, the reading this morning that we did as a congregation. So instead of reading that whole thing, I asked Ty, in closing, would you stand and read what we read this morning out of Revelation uh, chapter 5? This, these are just wonderful words, and we'll close there. Yes, you do, if you don't mind.